The blind stares of a million pairs of eyes Looking hard but won't realize That they will never see the peace Yes, sir. We're right back at it. It's All Eyes on Cleveland, the podcast. I'm your host, Brad Ward, excited to bring you another edition of the show. Tonight, very special guest, Josh Keatley from thebrownswire.com. Going to break down all of the Browns UDFAs, who's most likely to make the roster, who you can look for to have a high ceiling, who you can expect to make an impression when camp kicks off in July. It's exciting stuff. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of also the defensive end situation as a one-year $15 million deal all sits out there and waits for Clowney to decide what he wants to do with it. Other guys on the market, what does Josh think of them? Of course, then we will transition and talk about Miles Garrett extension. What about Chubb next year? Dalvin Cook holding out right now. Same situation. Sits at the precipice of the Browns' decision makers. And next year's coming as they look to keep this core together. How will they handle it? We'll talk all about that stuff. Uh, And, of course, the wide receivers. OBJ, Jarvis Landry. Uh, can they exist together in the future? $30 million combined. Depends on what they do on the field this year. It's a loaded show. It's jam-packed. And it's got your winners of the t-shirt contest. I can't be more excited. Mikey, go ahead and kill that. You start getting excited. It's all eyes on Cleveland, the podcast. Thank you, Mikey. Well done, as usual, as he's uh, on the ones and twos behind the glass doing his thing, per usual. Uh, Big show tonight with Josh Keatley. Uh, We talked for a long time, covered a lot of stuff. The UDFA uh, knowledge that he has is he did a series over at thebrownswire.com where we both write, uh, on each one of these you uh, undrafted free agents that the Browns signed and uh, got into uh, nice detailed scouting reports on each of them. We get into the different positions, the guys to look for, the guys that you can expect maybe to make an impression in camp and maybe make the team. Um, and he's got all the info on that. So really good stuff there. After that, even stay for more as we have uh, the defensive end with him. Uh, position with Clowney out there. You've got Marcus Golden out there. We talked about Everson Griffin, uh, Clowney with the second offer from the Browns, this time a one-year deal, $15 million, sitting out there waiting for him to make a decision. Uh, That's uh, $5 million a sack. Some people think that's way overpaying him. I don't think he'll get any more. I talk about that with Josh. Important to listen to. Interesting stuff there. Uh, And then we transition to uh, Chubb. Um, those running back uh, second 
contracts or extensions are really interesting right now. Dalvin Cook holding out. Browns could be looking at a situation just like that next year. What do you do with Chubb? I think he's special. I think you got to keep him, uh, just like the uh, Cowboys did with Zeke, just like uh, the Panthers did with McCaffrey. Uh, we talk about the linebacker room. He gets really in good into the linebacker room. He has good uh, feel for these guys uh, that are in the linebacker room, um, especially uh, Phillips, Taki Taki. We talk about. We talk about. Um, of course, Mac Wilson, uh, and decide, you know, kind of to interpret what we can expect from Joe Wood's defense there. I've been steadfast in my belief that they will have more defensive backs on the field, maybe three safeties a lot of the time, uh, more than they will have three linebackers, um, as that's kind of what we had to take away with uh, the last time Joe Woods talked to us. Um, and then we get into those extensions. What will Miles' extension look like? Uh, what, you know, will this look like with OBJ if he has a monster year, if he has a subpar year? Uh, Jar- Jarvis Landry and OBJ, can they coexist on that $30 million uh, contract? Uh, not contract, but together it makes $30 million. Uh, Joby Denzel, uh, Ward, uh, Baker Mayfield obviously coming up. Uh, Njoku, what, you know, I mean, is he gone after the fifth year because of what they did with Hooper? Uh, all these questions loom in front of the Browns and how they keep their core together. This is what we'll talk about. Also, after that, I, we're going to do uh, your winners for the T-shirts. I've got two winners. Uh, we will go to uh, right live on the air. Um, we will go to uh, where is it at here? Uh, Mikey had this stuff all ready for us. Uh, yes, wheelofnames.com is already set up. We've got all the names in there. We'll double check it one more time on Twitter. We'll spin it twice. We'll get two winners. We'll get your, uh, information, uh, whether you want to slide into them DMs and give me, uh, your address that way and your shirt size. And we'll get those two all eyes on Cleveland, black with the white lettering. They're real slick shirts right out to you guys. Uh, Eric Metcalf wanted one. We sent one out to him. So we're uh, getting that stuff out there. Exciting stuff. Good show tonight. But let's get right into it. Uh, first thing, before we get to the interview, you can find All Eyes on Cleveland, where all popular podcasts are found. That's uh, Speaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, Radio.com, and Google Play. will be published tomorrow morning at USA Today Sports Media Group's TheBrownsWire.com. This is All Eyes on Cleveland. My name is Brad Ward. This was our interview uh, today. Myself and Josh Keeley, also of TheBrownsWire.com, getting into the undrafted free agents. Uh, each one of them break down here from Josh and then more Browns topics that I know you're going to love. We'll come back after that. I've got a couple things I want to hit on with Dr. Fauci speaking out about the bubble in the NFL today. Well, the Browns in the NFL didn't, well, not not the Browns, but the NFL didn't stay silent as their uh, medical guy came out and uh, said, don't worry about it. We'll make some adjustments. It's all good. I think the NFL will play football. I am not a scientist. I did not say in Holiday Inn Express. This is just my opinion. Uh, but we will get to the interview right now. So without any further ado, uh, Josh Keatley, stay for the uh, 
uh, t-shirt winners, a couple of topics after that, and we'll get you out of here. But um, t-shirt winners I will also post up on the website, which is www.alleyesoncleveland.com. Here it is, Josh Keeley of the BrownsWire.com and the BrownsWire podcast with myself, hashing out the UDFAs and much more. Enjoy. And tonight on All Eyes on Cleveland, a very special guest, a colleague of mine, the one and only Josh Keatley. Josh is a contributor for the Browns Wire, uh, as am I. Um, he is a host of the Browns Wire podcast. Um, we'll get into some of the uh, uh, how you can listen to that later on. He's a former, former pardon me, Valparaiso running back and an alumni of the Ohio State University. Uh, Josh, how are we doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you inviting me on. And the week after Eric Metcalf. Yeah, how about that? It's a huge honor, but I'm sure the listeners are going to be let down. So <laughs> No, no, not at all. Not at all. Eric's a great guy, and uh, it was cool to have him on. He's uh, easy to talk to, and uh, I don't know if you listened to any of the interview, but he was uh, oh, yeah. he, he was great. So Yeah, I thought it was very uh, good. The the when he was talking about the orange cleats, I thought that was extremely interesting about how he got him dyed because I yes. thought he spray painted him. Yes, yes, he got him dyed and everybody else got him spray painted. He said so. Him and uh, him and uh, Webb got him uh, dyed. So interesting. So I got to ask you right off the top here, former Valpo running back. So you you played uh, college ball? I did. I was I was okay. Um, I, yeah, I, my freshman year I broke my wrist. So I took a red shirt. My sophomore year, I started three or four games. So it was pretty cool. I was I was traveling. Uh, we played in the Pioneer Football League. Um, so I mean, it was Division One. So we, we you know we got our heinies kicked by Western Illinois and San Diego and Jacksonville, uh, Marist. Um, we played Duquesne when Dorian Bell was there, who was the big the former five star recruit uh, yeah. from Ohio State that couldn't make it. Um, I was there. I, I was there. I, I, my first year there was 2009. But a big what they what they did when they tried to get you to go was they talked about Harbaugh and uh, Josh Johnson was the quarterback at San Diego um, who went on. He was recently just drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, mm-hmm. by the time I was going to college. So it was it was, it was cool. It was a good time. Um, I actually tried to walk on at Ohio State, but they said uh, they said no, thank you. <laughs> oh, that, that's a tough that's a tough task there though. But uh, still. Quite a uh, quite a feat there. I mean, that's Division One ball. I was gonna take my guess at. Uh, I was gonna say Missouri Valley Conference. Why do I want to say that? Is that basketball only or something at Valpo? Uh, they are in a different conference uh, conference in basketball. I believe they were in the Horizon League when I was in school. They might be in the Missouri Valley now. We played a lot of colleges from the Missouri Valley because a lot of those schools are right there. Um, but uh, you know, hey, not a lot of people even know what football conference Valpo's in. So. Okay, so yeah, it's the Pioneer League, right? So for the that's football, right. and that, that's awesome. Okay, so Division One ball, man, that's uh, that's nothing to uh, stop at. So very, very cool. Adam, and, uh, um, Tr- Adam Trotman's from Dayton. He played at the, he played in the BFL level too. So you yeah, know, getting some recognition there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, you know, it's it's awesome to have you on today. You've been doing a series uh, on our our. Uh, um, site, um, which uh, we urge everybody to go to. It's, uh, you know, USA Today Sports Media Groups, the BrownsWire.com. Uh, but you've been doing kind of a series on the Browns UDFAs, which is awesome because uh, 
not you know not everybody gets into the ins and outs of these guys. So we're going to kind of dive into some of that here today. Get to uh, pick your brain on these guys uh, and uh, let everybody know that they can go if they want more information. Right, they can go to the Browns Wire and check out uh, if they just click on your name under any of your articles, they'll be able to see all of them. Right. So. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, good stuff. So let's let's get this kicked off. So they they have a uh, they brought in a quarterback from Princeton, right? Kevin Davidson. Tell me about uh, what you know about Kevin Davidson, UDFA from Princeton. Uh, well, I, I was actually I was actually shocked Kevin Davidson didn't get drafted, and a lot of people okay. that I talked to were just as shocked as well. I thought he get selected in the late rounds. I believe that he was better than a, a couple of the quarterbacks that were selected. Uh, the unique thing about Kevin Davidson, first of all, he's big, six foot four, two hundred twenty four mm-hmm. pounds, was uber productive in the Ivy League, which is not you know it's not a joke. He threw for over twenty five hundred passing twenty five hundred passing yards this last season with twenty touchdowns. Uh, he's got a big arm, um, so he looks like an NFL quarterback. But the really interesting thing about him is he was once a four-star recruit, and then his dad made him change schools, and he was suspended because he's from California. So the California, whoever's in charge of high school football in California basically suspended him for half of his senior year. So that's what knocked him down to a three-star recruit. But wow. he was still – at the time – he was looking at schools like Stanford, Northwestern, uh, and then he just decided to go to Princeton because that's just the kind of guy he is. So I, I think that's a, that's a very interesting thing to know about him is that he was once a, four, a former four-star recruit. Yeah, you know, we, we know our front office likes those Princeton guys. So they bring in, uh, you know, there you go, another uh, Ivy League uh, uh, quarterback bringing him in there. Just uh, he fits the mold, right, with all those uh, Ivy League guys. Yeah, he he's a little bit different to Baker. Definitely not as mobile. Definitely he probably didn't get drafted because again he does play in the Ivy League and uh when he was facing pressure he kind of, you know, he he did he you could definitely see the panic in his play, but I think there's there's something to work with. Um, you know, I this is a guy that I think I think the stars have to align for him to make the roster. But I don't think it's insane for him to be on the practice squad and basically take a red shirt year. I mean, you know, I don't think he's going to take over for Baker or anything. Um, but he's definitely better than David Blau was last year. Definitely more of an NFL quarterback. Different style than Baker, though. So that was a little surprising. Interesting. And Blau got a shot at the end of last year with somebody, right? Uh, that's right. He started for the Lions. The Lions. That's right. Uh, interesting. So the next two guys we w- I want to ask you about, and you are listening to All Eyes on Cleveland, and our special guest is Josh Keatley today, uh, going over some UDFA uh, undrafted free agent information, guys that are going to be in camp here. Hopefully we'll get hit, kicked off here mid uh, to late July. Um, the, the third running back spot for the Browns, I kind of have a question mark at, like this is a position that could be won by somebody that uh, wasn't there last year. I think it's kind of open a little bit. So that's what makes these next couple guys uh, interesting, one in in particular. But let's start with Benny LeMay from uh, Charlotte. Yeah, Benny LeMay, that was was another guy kind of had in the same tier as Kevin Davidson, kind of a late-round target. Um, He's built like a Mack truck, 5'8", 221. Uh, He's definitely thrives as an inside banger. I'm surprised he didn't get drafted based off of his East-West Shrine game performance alone. He was the MVP of the game. Um, He had a good week. uh, I've heard people tell me that, you know, he he showed everything that you want. A lot of everybody was talking about all the scouts were talking about him. I believe that he talked to the Cleveland Browns when he was at – 
when during the Shrine Week. So you know that was another little feather in the cap for him. Uh, yeah. and it's hard to argue with his production. He averaged 120.4 all-purpose yards per game. There's not a lot of college football players that have that have matched that. So I think that he could be a good complement as an inside banger. Um, he is limited. You know, he's always going to be. If he ha- let's say that you know uh, the top two running backs, let's say Chubb and Hunt go down. Uh, if Lemay's shoved in there, I don't know if he's going to be able to do it all by himself. He is an, a limited athlete. Um, as you could tell, because if you, he ran a four seven five forty yard dash, so obviously yeah. that's that's an issue. Um, but I do think that he does bring something to the table. I do think he's going to have somewhat of an uphill battle to make this team because of his lack of, lack of athleticism. I don't know what he contributes on special teams. Does yeah. that make sense? He certainly does. You got you're gonna have to fill that role to make the team here out of these UDFA's probably. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so then the other guy here, right, uh, running back uh, Brian, and I don't even know. I probably been mispronouncing his name. Is it, is it Herrien? Uh, I believe it's pronounced Herrien, but I Herian. could be wrong as well. Yeah, well, you're probably no, you're, you're probably right. <laughs> Herrien, uh, Brian Herrien from Georgia. Obviously, uh, this is a guy that you know probably I think found himself uh, in that behind that long line of good Georgia running backs there. But uh, surely a talented guy, and there's been a little bit of hype surrounding uh, Brian, uh, that he could potentially fill that running back slot. Tell me about him. Yeah, I actually had him a tier above LeMay. I gave uh, Harry a, a mid-round grade. Um, I, actually, I had Bill Carroll on, on my show a couple weeks ago, and he thought that was silly. He, he, was, all, he was a big LeMay fan, you know, because it's hard to ignore that college production. But I do like Brian Harry, and I think he's probably got a better shot. I think he probably fits a better – he fits what you want in a reserve running back. He's got good size at 5'11", uh, almost 210 pounds. Um, his, his RAS score, he had an elite explosion. Um, he's got very little tread on the tires because, like you said, he was always kind of sitting on the bench. But that could also be a little bit of a negative because, I mean, I know that he sat behind Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, um, uh, high-round draft picks that are good in the NFL. But he also sat behind Elijah Holyfield, who's not very good at all. So that hmm. should be noted. Um, the most touches he got in a game was in 2016 against Tennessee when he had 15 carries. So not only was he not receiving very many carries back then, but the level of carries and touches he got has actually gone down. So it's kind of he was kind of a hard person to scout. Um, you know, I think he's got good hands, but if we're being honest, I'm kind of basing that off the one one-handed catch he got against Florida. There's really not a lot of tape of tape to watch of him. Yeah, there's. Uh, it's interesting. Next week, I think I think we're going to get him on next week. But let me find it. I'm going to screw it up here. Uh, did you see the the uh, tweet this week? Obviously, of Chubb uh, lifting um, 445 power. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, power on the power plane, and it was posted by Rusty Mansell, who you know had a little. Uh, thing there we wrote about uh he works for cbs sports and uh 247 sports but covered georgia uh said he's been covering uh chubb since 10th grade um and said that he uh, is at another another level of in shape and uh more ready for this season than any before so interesting to watch but um so i reached out to him i think we're going to get him on the show to talk about chubb but also it'd be interesting to ask him about uh, uh so I do think that Harrion has starter potential. I do think he's a very 
there are glimpses of him being a very, very good running back. I, it would be very interesting to see what he could do if he was given the reins at Georgia. But again, that is a huge cloud over his head because, I mean, Elijah Holyfield's not very good, and he couldn't right. win it over against him. So it right. is a question mark. Interesting. Good stuff. Uh, good stuff there, Josh. Let's uh, get uh, to uh, a wide receiver that interests me, uh, Tony Brown, uh, Colorado. Um, Big kid. Uh, well, okay, so I, I looked at that room. He's uh, just over six foot, right, uh, 22 years old. Tell me what, what we can look for from Tony Brown. Is this somebody that could uh, have a shot at making the roster or no? I, I do think he's got a shot. He was a guy that I really liked. I gave him an undrafted grade because he, he's, he does look very slow, and he kind of confirmed that with his 4 six, five, 40 yard time, and that oh, was fast for him. He, he was yeah. pretty he was stoked about that four six five, um, so that kind of shows you what he's about. But he is big. He's he is only six one, um, which isn't like you know earth shattering huge. But he's got he he wins the fifty fifty ball. I feel like he's got long arms. He's got big hands. He 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 does play big. So I, I can totally see why you said he was a big receiver. Uh, you know he transferred from Texas Tech, and he's not one of those guys that transferred because he sat the bench. He he did play. He played a lot as a freshman. Uh, and actually was he's fairly productive throughout his entire career. Was uh, Both years at Colorado, he was actually all Pac-12. He transferred because actually former Cleveland Browns wide receiver Darren Shiverini left Texas Tech to go coach at Colorado, and Tony Brown followed him. So that's another cool little uh, Cleveland connection there. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's interesting. I did not know that. That's cool. Um, looking at another wide receiver uh, we got here on the list, Jamarcus Bailey, uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, same, about same size guy. Uh, I don't have this 40 time in front of me. I don't know if you have that, but uh, what, do, what do we know about Bailey? Yeah, uh, Jamarcus Bradley, uh, he, he's just a little bit smaller than Tony Brown. Uh, he plays a little bit smaller as well. I actually like Bradley a lot more. Uh, I did is it, give Bradley. Is it Bradley? A, Jamarcus yeah. Bradley? Yeah. Know. So the, yeah. the paper I pulled says Bailey. Uh, so I promised everybody I didn't, you know, <laughs> not, my fault. not my fault. Mikey, Mikey screwed it up. Go ahead. But, uh, yeah, I actually like him a lot better than Tony Brown. I think that he's probably if, – if it wasn't for Bradley, I would think that Brown would make the roster. But this is kind of the wide receiver I got my eyes on. I feel like he fits what Cleveland might want to do a little bit more. Um, 38% of – I don't know if you saw the PFF grades that they did, but 38% of his catches, he actually forced a missed tackle, which was top three in all of college football last season, uh, which is – that's a good stat to have if you're going to be looking for someone to dump underneath, right? You have to figure OBJ is going to be an out outside deep threat. One would think that Landry, even though he is an underneath guy, he's also going to be on the outside. So they're probably going to be looking for someone to hit that slot role. That's going to be, they're going to be able to hit underneath and Bradley should be able to fill that role as a reserve pretty well. Um, He had a, he had a pretty good shrine week as well. Uh, He had a touchdown during the game where also he worked underneath, got like 10 yards and took it to the house. And he actually does run a four, four. So that's, I, 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 that's to me. I think that that's fast. I do think Much that that better. is fast. Yeah. That's fast enough, right? Um, yep. I think that the, one of the reasons why we saw him not get drafted was because he plays in the Sun Belt and he didn't dominate. Uh, there wasn't necessarily a dip in production, but there was a dip in some of the stats you thought would get better. Like his yards per reception uh, dipped pretty heavily. So, and you know, I think that a lot of people expected him to be kind of a deep threat for Louisiana Lafayette, and he just wasn't really that. So I don't think he really – he didn't elevate his game. But I think that the Browns are getting a good steal here because much like Donovan Peoples-Jones, 
I don't think he lived up to the hype, which made his draft stock fall even further than it really should have. But I think he's got – if he doesn't make it with the Browns, I think he sticks in the NFL for at least a bit. Interesting. Very interesting. I did not know that about him. That That's good That's good to know. Uh, good stuff again, Josh. You're listening to Josh Keatley, uh, special guest today on All Eyes on Cleveland. We're going through the undrafted creations that the Browns have uh, brought in, going to bring into camp here hopefully in uh, mid to late July. Uh, Nate Weeding, is, I think it's Weeding, tight end, Iowa. Um, this is going to be a tough room for anybody to squeeze into at this point, but uh, tell me about Nate. Yeah, I mean, you, you you make an interesting point, right? The tight end room is pretty packed, and they drafted Harrison Bryant. So I don't want. I think that he's like Bradley. He is good enough to make an NFL team. Um, I actually, if you made me rank these undrafted free agents, I'd probably rank him higher than Bradley and Lemay on a you know on effectiveness or uh, availability or being able to make an NFL roster because he is a good blocker. He is proved, a proven grinder. He's a former walk on at Iowa, where you know they thrive on you know, physicality, and it's kind of a little bit like tight end you, right, with George yep. Kittle coming out, and, you know, there's a, there's some notable names there. And this is a guy that I think he's going to do what he's supposed to. He's not an electric receiver. Um, I do think his stock got hit. I think he would have got drafted, but he had a calf injury that not only sidelined him for two whole games, but he kind of was bumped and bruised throughout the entire year, which is a shame because this was his only year he was given the starting spot. Uh, but I do think he's a grinder. I think he's a guy that can stick on the bottom of a roster for a long time and be a rotational blocking tight end. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. And yeah, they, those guys at Iowa, they uh, they coach them up good there at tight end. And, and, you know, they may they may need a blocking guy, you know. Um, that is one thing that's missing out of that room is that real good blocker, maybe except for Farrell Brown. I don't know. How. Yeah, I do think that Harrison Bryant being such a terrible blocker yeah. probably helped pull the trigger to get Nate in here. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, like, hey, we got, we got together, these guys make a good rookie tight end. And then we'll try to yeah. figure out who we're going to cut later. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, now, if we move down into the trenches a little, we've got Alex Taylor from South Carolina State. Uh, he's a tackle, I believe, right? Oh, yeah. This is a prospect that I am super psyched for. I gave okay. him an I, gave, I was too high on him. Uh, full disclosure, I'm I'm biased towards Alex Taylor because I love him. I gave him a third-round grade. He he was at the Senior Bowl. He was by far and away the largest player at the Senior Bowl. Six foot eight, three hundred eight pounds. Uh, you know, he's a monster. Oh, he's huge. He's got an 88-inch wingspan, 11-inch hands, and 36-inch arms. To put that in perspective, Joe Thomas is not a small individual. Alex Taylor's hands are a whole inch larger than Joe Thomas, and he's got three inches on his arms. He's extremely long. He's a former basketball player, and that really shows up in his game. I think he's raw. I do think he needs a redshirt ear, and I think that's why he fell. Um, That mixed with his lack of punch, he does lack strength, despite being 300 pounds. Um, So they're going to have to be patient. The Browns are going to have to be patient, but I think this is a guy – worth hanging on to. I do think that this is a guy that they can do, that can develop into someone who can contribute at a high level. But again, he's got he's he is weak. He's got to really want it. He's got to want to gain that strength to be able to punch because his punch is weak and he's got long 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 veins for arms. Yeah. Um incredible size. That's amazing. 68. Yeah. Uh, and then, they, I mean, they didn't – another huge guy here, uh, another tackle, Southern Miss, Drake uh, Dorbeck. I think uh, Dorbeck, uh, he is, what, 6'5", six, 320? Six, 
Yes, uh, I believe he measured it at his pro day or his measurements because it's hard. It's hard to remember who had legit pro days and who yeah. had virtual pro days. Uh, but I believe he measured it at six seven three seventeen. So another huge oh, guy. Yeah, yeah it, it does show up on film. You know when he's playing against conference USA opponents because a lot of those conference USA defensive ends are. I mean, a lot of them are, are barely six foot two. Uh, the kid from Charlotte was, you know, he barely cracked six foot three, and he was like the best one. So he's going. Not only is he huge, but it really shows off on tape how long and large he is. His problem, I, I think that he has. I don't. If I had to put money on it, I don't think he makes the roster. I don't think you'd grab. You bring on two projects like them. Wait, I think you take one, and Alex Taylor has the much higher ceiling. Dorbeck is not athletic at all. We talked about Alex Taylor's background as a basketball player, so he yeah. he does have the feet. That's not the issue. He's got to gain strength, and he's got enough. He's got a large enough frame, and he's got big enough arms to to gain that strength. It's just a lot of it's just it's it's there. You just got to mold it. Dorbeck, it's really hard to it's going to be hard to teach him how to be athletic, right? I feel like that's a much harder task. So I don't think he's going to make the roster. But it is interesting that they've snagged two giant peop two giant tackles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, huge huge men there. But that's, yeah. yeah, I got that. He's noticed down here. Uh, uh, who's uh, ahead of who here in your mind. So uh, let's look at uh, the defensive side of the ball a little bit. George Obina, Sacramento State defensive end. Uh, he's 6'2", 245. What do, you, what, uh, what do you make of him out of Sacramento State? So this is the guy that I've, I've gotten a couple arguments with Bill Carroll and my co-host Adam Moore. Um, okay. This is the guy that I'm low on. I I don't think he I didn't give him a draftable grade. I think he's a tweener. I don't think he's big enough to play defensive end. He's not athletic enough to play outside linebacker. I do think he's going to have to play outside linebacker because he he doesn't hold the good anchor, and he's he's not going to get any bigger. I don't think. Okay. With that said. Bill Carroll knows his game better than I do, and he thinks that he can not only pack on weight, but he compared him to Terrell Suggs, believe it or not. Um, oh. Terrell Suggs was another guy who ran – I think Terrell Suggs ran a four eight seven at mm-hmm. the Combine. Um, so, I mean, they're, and they do have similar profiles. Terrell Suggs is right there in the six three six four range, and I don't think he, – he's 260, 260, 270 now, but, you know, that's really not that far. I mean, if you get Obina to gain 15 pounds – Maybe he could play fill that reserve role. He was uber productive. It's hard to ignore that. Thirty three and a half career sacks, which is the school record. So it is hard to ignore that. Uh, but I don't think he makes the roster. But there's a lot of people that disagree with me, and and I could see it. The, the Terrell Suggs comparison is lofty, but there are some traits that make you think. Okay, well I could see this. Okay. All right. Something to keep an eye on. Certainly with the Suggs count there. Um, Jeffrey Watley. Uh, defensive line, South Alabama. Yeah, Wally's interesting. I don't. Again, I don't think he makes the roster either. But it's okay. definitely someone. It's definitely someone to watch out for, uh, because obviously, with the, I, I do think it's interesting how the Browns have snagged. We're talking about two small school guys, right? George yeah. Obino played defensive end, and then Jeffrey Wally played defensive tackle, and they're clearly looking for college production and maybe some potential size potential, right? Jeffrey Wally gained 40 pounds in college. He was a big recruit for South Alabama, but the reason he wasn't recruited by a lot of larger schools was because he was an undersized defensive tackle, okay? Mm -hmm. But he gained 40 pounds, and it's a good, solid 40 pounds. I think he can actually gain more weight because, I mean, he doesn't look – it's not sloppy weight. He doesn't look like Danny Sheldon, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, 
but the big problem with him is I think he still learned how to use that weight. He played defensive end in South Alabama's scheme. He doesn't anchor real well, and he definitely does not have the athleticism to hang on the outside for the Cleveland Browns. He's yeah. going to have to move inside, and I don't really see the room for him. I mean, you already have a couple of uh, gap penetrators and Jordan Elliott, who they drafted in the third round, and uh, Larry Ogunjobi cool. kind of plays that role as well, and Sheldon Richardson, to be quite honest with you. So I don't really know how many do the Andrew Packers Billings. are going to Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think uh, they they have a a nice looking rotation right now in that room. If you're looking at like you know inside defensive line with uh, you know Billings, the uh, draft pick uh, with um, Elliott, who looks like he could has a ton of potential. Yeah. And then and then their starters obviously Ogilvy and Richardson, but that's interesting. Though. Yeah. And- um, I definitely don't want to seem like I'm being negative about these players, but the, the reality is undrafted free agents are undrafted for a reason. But it, it yeah. is interesting to note that the last three guys we talked about, even though I have gunned to my head, I would say that they wouldn't make the team, they all have very interesting traits. And whether that be college production or weight or giant frames, there's something there that you can see that the Browns are looking at. And that, I think that that is different than what we saw with a lot of Browns undrafted free agent classes from before. Um, where it was kind of harder to see why they were doing what they were doing. Yeah. I do feel like there's a method to the madness. Even though these guys don't make the roster, I can see what they're looking for or why they're exploring these options. That's good news. That's a good thing to see, be able to see it. Absolutely. Uh, you're listening to Josh Keatley on All Eyes on Cleveland, breaking down our undrafted free agents for the Brownies here. Uh, Josh uh, getting into some incredible detail for us on these guys, so we're going to keep picking his brain here. Um Linebacker, a bit of a concern room, uh, in my opinion. Oh, uh, yeah. Solomon uh, Ajaye, Ajaye, is that right? Uh, from yeah. Liberty. One of yeah, the two Liberty players that uh, got on the uh, uh, undrafted free agent signings. But, yeah, tell me about um, Ajaye. Yeah, Solomon Ajaye is actually related to Jay Ajaye. I believe his brother, but really? I, I should have... I should have wrote it down. Double double check that he. I know he's related. I can't remember if he's a brother or the cousin. Uh, okay. But yeah, he is related to Jay Jai, uh, and that athletic that family athleticism does doesn't show up all the time on tape, and that's probably why it went undrafted. Um, yeah. Is that he was pretty inconsistent, uh, six foot two thirty five. So he's not small, uh, but he does lack. Uh, he's not small, but he 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 ain't big. You know what I mean? Um, especially when you look at a guy like Jacob Phillips. He was a guy, I think that, I think, with the, and that, this goes for both Liberty guys, uh, I think that the Browns like, I think that they're picking up on these guys <clears throat> because they didn't have their pro day. These were two guys, and this goes for Elijah Benton as well, who's the safety from Liberty, who were supposed to have very, very productive pro days. I heard rumors that Benton was going to run in the 4-4s. Four I heard rumors that Ajayi was going to run in the 4-6s. Now, I mean, that would make him a pretty – if you're 230 and you're, run, you're running the 4-6s four, the and you can go sideline to sideline, that's a pretty good prospect that maybe has a higher ceiling than what we're seeing. Uh, you know, he played in a very pass-heavy conference. Both those guys did. So maybe, yeah. you know, with a more balanced attack, maybe that their film wasn't as flattering as it could have been. Uh, but I definitely think that that might have had something to do with it. Because both guys, there were heavy rumors floating around about their pro days before it got canceled, before COVID. Interesting. Uh, uh, he's the brother, by the way, of J.S.I.A. There you go. Uh, and there, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, that's somebody that I certainly have a star next to just because of that room, right? So, 
uh, something to keep an eye on. You know, you kind of look and maybe hope that somebody jumps up and uh, surprises you in that linebacker room, certainly. Um, the next guy is certainly the most interesting of them all, uh, in my opinion, and, and probably everybody's opinion. It's the A.J. Green, right? Uh, the name is recognizable. Now, you know, the wide receiver with the Bengals, but of course, the <laughs> cornerback from Oklahoma State, A.J. Green. And this is not a guy that, um, you know, probably should have been drafted, it seems like. Uh, and the Browns gave a signing bonus, too, correct? Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if it's been 100% confirmed, but I've I've heard that this is the largest signing bonus the Cleveland Browns have ever given an undrafted free agent. So I, yeah. I, if I had to put money on it, I would say that he's basically a lock to make the roster. And he should be. He's my favorite undrafted free agent for everything you just said. Uh, I had him as not only a draftable rating, but I gave him an early grade. I thought he had, you know, day two tape for sure. Uh, you know, he was very good at Oklahoma State. Big. 6'1", 202, plays physical. Um, There's a lot to like on his film. Uh, His film is third-round film. You know, uh, the problem with him, and I think that this is – I feel very strongly that this is why he fell out of the draft, is that he ran a 4.6240. Not only that, but that length and that size that you see on tape, his his arms measured under 30 inches. Now, to put that in perspective, the average defensive back at the combine, their arms are measured 31 and a half. And they're not. Most of them are not nearly as tall as AJ. So that that is disappointing. When you see a cornerback of his height, you expect that number to be much larger. So those are two of the biggest things you notice on tape is his athleticism and his size. And then when he went to go test out, both of those things were just pretty much lies. So yeah. I think that that definitely or that definitely hurt him. Um, that and he does give up a lot. He he plays. He prefers to play with a lot of cushion. Now with that lack of speed that's probably going to get eat up in the NFL. But I do think he's a versatile defensive back. I think that he can play man. I think that he can play zone. Uh, I do think he's stuck on the outside due to that lack of athleticism, but he is big. He does play physical, and I don't think that he plays – I think that he does – it's very cliche, but I think he does play faster than his time speed. So I, I think that he is going to make the roster, and I think that he has a ton of traits that may allow him to be a, a consistent and high-level contributor. Interesting. Uh, so he's, you think he's pretty much a lot to make the team, though? If, if Yeah, I, I think so. With the amount of money that they're giving him, the the amount of hype that he got, I think that you can very much pinpoint the fact that he didn't get drafted because of the way he tested out. Um, to be honest with you, I think that COVID really hurt his draft stock as well because he didn't get to make that up at a pro day. He yeah. didn't get to go visit everybody and tell them, hey, this is how I plan making that up. I do think there are a lot of traits – that show that he can be a very good contributor. Um, very, I, I think that yeah, I think that he's the best undrafted free agent that they've gotten. Um, but I and I feel the same way about him and Alex Taylor both. I think that there's there are huge clumps of clay that can be very easily molded into contributors, to, to yeah. good contributors for this yep. team. Interesting. So let's stay in the uh, defensive backfield here, as they did get another corner. Uh, Jamison Houston from Baylor, um, and uh, what, what, what do we have on him? He's uh, about six foot five or five eleven, two hundred pounds. What do we yeah. have, Jamison? Yeah, again, you start talking. I don't, I don't know how many deep bat, undrafted defensive backs are going to take, right? And I definitely think that AJ Green is going to make the team. So I think that kind of leaves Jamison Houston as the odd man out. Probably uh, right. Yeah. 
But there is some potential there. I can see why they picked Houston. I do think he's a good athlete. As a matter of fact, he was kind of a big deal when he uh, committed to Baylor as a three-star athlete. He played, So he's very raw, too, because I believe when they recruited him, he got. To, they didn't really know what to do with him. I think he played primarily offense in high school. You'd, ha, you'd have to check that. But I, I know he doesn't have a whole lot of extensive background playing defensive back. So there is some potential there. He is a pretty good athlete, too. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he does play physical, and he's not, I mean, 5'11", 200 pounds. It's not usually when you see defensive backs that are physical, they're more like A.J. Green's size. Yeah rather than Houston size. And I know it's only two inches, but that that kind of stuff does matter when I mean, you know, you're talking about making the team and not making the team. Absolutely. Um, they pick up a safety from uh, Middle Tennessee State, uh, Javante Moffitt. Yeah, Javante Moffitt, that was actually Bill Carroll's favorite prospect. Uh, really? Okay. Favorite undrafted prospect that the Browns picked up. Uh, I said, you know, gun to your head, who do you think is making this roster? And he said Javante Moffitt. Uh, you can see why he says it on tape. There are some good games on tape. There are some games. He ba- he plays out of control, but he's a hard hitter. He's an in-the-box safety. Uh, he kind of – I don't want to compare him to T.J. Ward, but very much that style. Uh, mm-hmm. The Browns kind of need that. The Browns don't really have that. Uh, Grant Delpit is more of a, you know, a, a – a, center field kind of guy. Carl Joseph is not really an in-the-box safety. Andrew Sandejo, whatever he is, he's 30 years old. You know, he's Norway north of 30. So Javante Moffitt probably has a, a pretty clear path to make this roster, and I know that he can be effective on special teams. I mean, he's not small, 5'11", 213, and he actually started 55 games in college, too. So wow. that, And that does mean something. Yeah, Absolutely. Good stuff there on uh, Moffitt. That would be good if we could get him in here. Of course, that's another position we could use some depth at. Um, and then finally, the last name that I have, and you can tell me if I missed anybody, but Elijah Benton, second guy from Liberty, uh, and uh, he's also a safety. Yeah, Benton, I, you know, I briefly touched on him with the Jai. That was a guy I think that benefited from having his pro day. I don't know if benefit is the right word. I, I didn't give him a draftable ranking based off of his film, but there are rumors that he was going to explode at his pro day and potentially run in the 4-4s. Four now, if he runs in the 4-4s, four he might be looking at a draftable grade because everything checks out. Uh, I do, did think he was inconsistent. Um, I do think he's thin. I know that we talked about Mata, who's only 10 more pounds than Benton, but they're just built differently. They they really, truly are. So I don't yeah. really know. He also feels that Grant – Benton is more in that Del Pitt, you know, type of safety, and I don't know how many of the Browns are going to keep. Does that make sense? So I feel like Moffitt is yeah. probably the more likely one to make the team if I was going to put money on one of those two. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man, you you are on it with these uh, undrafted free agents. Tremendous stuff. I appreciate that, Josh. Let's uh, let's uh, let me ask you this: uh, most likely to to make the roster. If I gave you three names, I think I know who you're going to say, but what what three uh, most likely to make the roster in your opinion? In my, in my opinion, I think that the three prospects with the highest ceiling, and I think that that's what the Browns are trying to go for. Okay, are AJ Green, Alex Taylor, and Brian Harrion. Okay, I I really think that that's going to be the goal is try to find the guys that are molds of clay that you can turn into something. Uh, I do think that Harrion is uh, Harrion is probably the surprise out of that group. I think that you can make a solid case for, like I said, Javante Moffitt because there's not a whole lot of depth there. Um, you can make the case for Kevin Davidson, but Harrion, you know, they, they're not going to be able to pay both of these running backs. They're just not going to be able to do it. And I think that right. Harrion can provide a role. 
Um, Benny LeMay makes an argument as well. I, I you know, as much as good positive stuff I say about Harrion, that I'm basing that off of what five plays, that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sixteen yeah. carries that he got. So that right. a lot of that is just me making him a legend in my own mind. But Benny LeMay, I think, has a path as well. But if I had to put money on it, I'm taking Brian Herring in that third spot. But I think Green and Taylor are locks. Unless Taylor is way got way more issues than I think. Okay. All right. Yeah, I like that. Uh, those are good positions to, to be able to add somebody that you didn't draft. So I, I think that's uh, quality stuff there. If, he, if Herring could get in there and make an impact at uh, running back three, that would be huge for the Browns. So uh, good stuff, really good stuff, Josh. You're listening to Josh Keatley, special guest on all eyes on Cleveland. Uh, moving on here from undrafted free agents, as you did do, as I said, knocked you out of the park there, and uh, anybody can go to brownswire.com and check out his series on all of those guys uh, breaking it all down for us, uh, uh, Josh, uh, so well done. Uh, let's uh, get into some other topics here with the Browns while we got you, uh, and I uh, got your football in mind. Let's, uh, let's get into it here. Um, Browns uh, defensive end. Um, let's just say, I'm going to call it the defensive end issue, uh, opposite, uh, Miles Garrett, uh, Clowney, what appears or sounds like the second, uh, firm offer from the Browns is a one year, $15 million offer. Um, I, I don't think that, uh, in my opinion, uh, Josh, I don't think Clowney is going to get a better offer than that, at least per year. Um, I feel like the first offer that the Browns gave him was probably a multi-year offer, but a lot less on the uh, per-year money. Uh, He seems to not be anxious to make a decision on this. Um, I don't know if that's a Browns thing, if that's a money thing. I don't know really where that is uh, with him. Um, What are your thoughts on you know, Vernon, who's here, uh, Clowney, uh, is he worth that money, the $15 million? Um, you know, basically, they would probably swap him out for Vernon, and the way his contract is set up, it's kind of a one-for-one. Um, they could do that. Uh, there are other guys on the market, like a Marcus Golden and Everson Griffin, um, things, guys like that, that wouldn't cost nearly as much. What are your thoughts on, on this whole kind of defensive end room scenario? So it, it, this conversation, the Jadavion Clowney topic frustrates me so intensely. <laughs> okay. Because okay. On, on one side, and I'm sure you feel the same way, on, on one side, you're, you look at Clowney and you say, why is he not wanting to sign? Why does he want so much money? I mean, you're talking about a guy who never had double-digit sacks his entire career. And remember, he never got double-digit sacks even when he was playing on the opposite end of J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless. Okay? Correct. And then yeah. when he was finally the big dog in Seattle, he still couldn't do it. Right? And he was a little bit underwhelming. I know that you can't just look at the sacks number. There's more to it than that. But that's a big deal. When you're wanting $20 million, $15, $20 million a year, it's hard not to look at that sacks number. So this yeah. is the guy who – and he, remember, he was the number one draft pick. He never really lived up to that hype, right, because he was supposed to be the best thing that's happened to the NFL since Lawrence Taylor, and he's just never really lived up to it. Um, he's made a career basically off of slamming that Michigan player in the Outback Bowl. I mean, let's be real. A huge yeah. chunk of his career yeah. and the hype he has is because of that, right? And the fact he was a five-star recruit and he played immediately. 
but on the other hand, he is good. He is a freak athlete. You know, you can't mm-hmm. just look at the sacks. He does. He does soak up double teams. He, he is the kind of a move a, a movable object. He does provide pressure, even though he might not be able to close the gap. So I would sign him. I like him. I think he is better than Everson Griffin and Marcus Golden. Even though I don't think the gap is all that huge, I do think that there is a gap. Um, I don't want to give up Olivier Vernon. If you have to make, if you have to get rid of Vernon for Clowney, I think you double think that. You know, I think you you take a second you, you take a second to really think about what you're doing as far as money goes and as far as who's a better mix because I do think that some of the issue with Clowney and I think that this might be one of the underlying issues of why he doesn't want to go to Cleveland is he doesn't want to be second fiddle to Miles Garrett. I think that he wants to be the big dog, um, and Olivier Vernon doesn't mind being second fiddle. So I do think you look at that and how that plays out in your locker room. Um, if you can have them both and just have a, an excellent elite rotation. That's fine. I'm all for it. I, I, you know, I just think you really got to take your time and think about how he's going to fit in if you're going to get rid of Vernon. Because Vernon's not bad. I mean, Vernon, statistically speaking, was has been better than Clowney. So it, it is something yeah. to think about. But I do like Clowney. Uh, I, th- I like Everson Griffin as well, but Everson Griffin is already – he's past 30. I think he's about four or five years older than Clowney. And Everson Griffin has had some mental issues. Uh, mm-hmm. Right, he went air, AWOL a couple. Uh, I think he went AWOL mid-season a couple years ago, and I think that's also a guy that he's going to end up going back to Minnesota. Marcus Golden doesn't really fit uh, the clowny. What the he doesn't really fit the defensive end role. He's a good pass rusher. Yeah, but he's not he's not a great fit. Yeah, exactly, that's kind of what I'm thinking. So I think that he's automatically off. You know, off the off of whatever the Browns are looking at. So I do think that Clowney is – there is something there. He's a unique fit. If you can, you have the money, why not spend it? Bring it in. He is good. It's undeniable. But it is frustrating that he just doesn't want to seem to pull the trigger. Um, I, so, and some of that, maybe I'm, I'm not placing that blame where it deserves to be. Maybe the Browns aren't putting the pressure on, right? Because maybe the Browns aren't putting the pressure on because it's not like the players are at the facilities. They just started well, – they just, they just got back to the facilities, so it's not like he's missing anything. Yeah, I agree. I'm frustrated with the situation as well because right off the bat, you know, $15 million for one year um, is a frustrating offer for me because you're paying him, what, $5 million a sack? So, I mean, that's yeah. outrageous. Uh, the amount of money that he's commanding, he doesn't really deserve or command the market. Nobody else is going to pay him that. The market's not there for that. Now, at the same time, he's very disruptive. He plays the run really well. He blows up a lot of plays that aren't on, on the stat sheet. I get that, right? Like he is, he's a problem for defense, for offenses, uh, certainly. But um, ultimately when in the one year deal, he doesn't, you know, we're turning around next year with Vernon, say they keep Vernon. I agree with you. I would like to keep Vernon either way. Um, first of all, because I think he's an excellent locker room guy. Um, I feel like uh, it's good to have him back, somebody that's been through all this, who went through the 6-10 and 10 disappointment last year. I feel like he is one of the guys that could be a leader on that defense a little bit, um, vet- veteran with the, the right type of mindset, um, and certainly can be productive on the field. You know, you throw Adrian Claiborne in there, another veteran. I would really like that signing. I, it's, yeah. it's not like Clowney is a must-have is the thing, right? Um, but if they could get him, that's great. It's just the problem for me is with the one-year deal, it's like, okay, that's fantastic, but 
you know, this is going to be an issue next year as well because you're not going to have Vernon, you're not going to have uh, Clowney, even if you sign him this year. I mean, this is defensive end is going to be an issue in 21 regardless. So that kind of bothers me. You're not really solving anything. Uh, if you keep him and, and, Ver- and Vernon, you know, there is a rollover cap effect there that will certainly affect, could affect, you know, what is predicted to be a, um, a potentially dropping, you know, uh, salary cap next year. So, and at the same time, we're looking to, you know, sign uh, Miles Garrett, and there's a whole line of guys that we're going to get, we'll get into that here in a couple minutes, but that eventually we want to pay, right? Or at least I would like to pay. Uh, so, so that's where it gets interesting when you look at other options for me. Um, and then there's the question of does he does he really like you know the whole thing is like does he love the game and that's like the knock on him right like he doesn't really have the passion for it like a lot of guys I don't know I, I you know I have no way of knowing that I just know that's the knock on him um, when I watched him play in Seattle last year I mean he was incredibly disruptive he changed the game um, in that San Francisco game just not even with sacks but just blowing up plays left and right. Um, and uh, I was impressed. So obviously he's a big game changer. I just I hate this deal just sitting out there, and it's like what I, I don't know what else he thinks he's going to get above that. It's yeah, frustrating. At this point, it feels like he's kind of just playing games, and I think that the Browns are letting him play the games. I mean, I think this off season is kind of letting them. I don't the, the, I don't think the Browns are in a hurry to get him in the building. So I do think that that is part of it. Um, I for as much crap as I talk about Clowney, a lot of that comes from a place of frustration, like because of everything you just said. But I mean, yeah. if, if you if you can have him and Vernon, and yeah. envision envision Miles Garrett never being double teamed. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about Garrett possibly being defensive player of the year at that point. I mean, I feel like that would almost be a virtual lock because if he's never double teamed, it might be worth dishing out all that cash. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you that they have the money to do it. Um, it's just, I mean, he's, he's going to he, – right now he's negotiating against himself. I really don't think anybody else is going to go that high. So we'll find out, I guess. Uh, he's going to have to make a decision at some point. There, you're right. There is no rush at this point, probably till from about a month from right now is when um, that decision is going to really get up again down to the nitty-gritty, right? Uh, so as we get closer to camp um, – Certainly, uh, and other guys go off the market like Golden. I know he has a, a, a time uh, table for for him. Although, as uh, you mentioned, and, and uh, I agree, he doesn't really fit what they want to do schematically. So, um, it's an interesting situation. I, I agree with you. It would it would certainly take them to the next level, uh, but it's certainly frustrating as well because it's not like he's had that pop year uh, that that he. He deserves this contract. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, statistics. exactly. exactly. Um, uh, you're listening to Josh Keatley on All Eyes on Cleveland, uh, and uh, Josh is writes uh, over at thebrownswire.com with me, and uh, he hosts a podcast called the Browns Wire uh, Podcast. Um, and uh, you should make sure that you go listen to that, obviously, as well as you're hearing his uh, uh football acumen and intelligence here today as a little sample for you to go over there and listen to more of Josh. So there you, there you have it. Um, <laughs> let's let's uh, keep it moving here a little bit. I won't uh, keep you 
forever here, Josh, but um, we mentioned that linebacker room uh, as a little bit of a red flag. Um, you know, Joe Woods, I've been very uh, on this show uh, attentive to Joe Woods. Every time Joe Woods talks, because I'm, he's been in so many different schemes, I'm very interested to see what he wanted to do with the Browns, right? Um, and it seems like the last time he came out and spoke, he mentioned a lot of, uh, you know, uh, getting into the nickel and dime stuff as more of a base look. It sounds like that he wants to have more defensive backs on the field, less linebackers, which makes sense with the room. It's kind of what they did last year. Um, you know, of course, he's got his experience with, uh, you know, Seattle's uh, rest bail, you know, cover three um, that they probably will have as an option in there. I don't want them that to be like their every down thing like they did uh, last year and got burned on and, you know, with the Niners uh, as Salvo lived and died with that defense, right? Uh, so I don't think that's what he's going to do. Um, but as far as the linebackers go, I mean, what are your expectations here? Obviously, Matt Wilson is the guy that they're going to lean on, it seems like. Um, and then you've got I mean, you've got – they brought in B.J. Goodson, who is – I don't really know what to make of him. You know, I talked to Jeff, had Jeff on and talked to him about Goodson, and he, he, he wasn't real high on him as far as – he played the run okay, but once again, we're talking about coverage. We don't have a lot of guys that can cover a linebacker, at, the, at least at this point. Yeah, that – you. it's funny, you texted me yesterday about looking at the linebacker room, and I thought, ooh, ooh, I have – I haven't really evaluated that yet, and I'm looking at this. I'm looking at it, and it's just. I mean, there's some potential there. I don't want to bash on it too much. I can see why the why these guys were taken where they were taken. They were all relatively high draft picks, but they all have glaring issues, and I don't know where they right. fit either. They drafted usually. I mean, I feel like <clears throat> when you look at other AFC North teams, for instance, they have okay. This is our middle linebacker. These are outside linebackers. Does that make sense? Yep. With the Browns, they got a mishmash. But the only clear person is we know that BJ Goodson is an inside linebacker. And honestly, I don't know if he starts. I really don't. I'm thinking. I that, don't know if he does either. I agree. Yeah, I'm thinking that the starters are probably going to be Phillips, who they just drafted, and I thought that they overdrafted for him. Sion Takitaki, who was, again, I thought that they reached for him last year, and he plays extremely reckless. Good athlete, plays reckless. And then Mac Wilson, who I love. I was I very high him. on him. Very stoked about the draft pick. But it, he gets he doesn't play reckless, but he gets lost. Does that make sense? Yeah, he does get lost. I, I, I think, am I wrong in saying that they're going to move him to the mic, right? Um, and then I would hope um, so. I would yeah. think that that's a good move. I, I've heard – I've heard mixed things. I, I, I've heard mixed things, but I would hope that they would put him on the inside. But that's weird because I feel like Phillips plays better on the inside as well, and you just drafted him on the third round in the third round, and that guy was all downhill. I mean, even at LSU, yeah. Phillips wasn't in coverage. They had uh, Patrick Queen for that. Yeah, so you're talking about a guy who's in all downhill backs. Yeah, absolutely. So, so usually you want that inside guy to be your downhill guy and your outside guys to be the ones that roam sideline to sideline and have coverage ability. So I really don't know I don't know what their plans are. I really don't. I, I mean, you know, you look at the reserves, Willie Willie Harvey, who was undrafted last year at Iowa State, who's very undersized, not very not very good, let's be real. And then Jermaine Grace, who's another guy who was at the bottom of several rosters. I think he's been in the league for five years and been on yeah. ten different teams. So there's, yeah, there's not I, I don't really there's potential there. 
I think it might be a rough year for this linebacker group. Yeah, that's where I think that you're going to see probably very similar to last year, uh, and, and maybe even more so the way that Woods talked about it. I don't even know if we'll see three linebackers on the field at all some games. Um, you know, I, I think we may see two linebackers, three safeties. You know what I mean? Um, that it would probably be the best. Right. Uh, I do think that Mac Wilson. I was su- I was extremely high. I was embarrassingly high, embarrassingly high on him coming out of college. Um, yeah. I think he's got extremely interesting traits. I mean, he only had one year where he started at Alabama, and it was a very good, very productive year. Hard hitter, great in coverage, instinctive. Um, he, he's been getting lost in the NFL. I think he's got a big-time ceiling. Whether he reaches out or not, I don't know. But that's really yeah. the only one that I'm in love with. Yeah, me too. Uh, I agree. And, you know, like you said, um, lost last year, but very valuable time. Uh, you know, next to um, oh God, what's his name? He's already gone, and I forget. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> Kirksey and Schobert. Yeah, uh, Schobert. Very valuable time with Schobert. Uh, good learning experience, and, and really flashes though. You know, he was lost, but he flashes. Yeah, uh, the athleticism is there. He could cover absolutely. You know, that's the stuff I love about him. Yeah, he de- definitely needs to learn. Um, but you love the upside there, right? Like, I mean, he and, and you love the attitude. Like, I, I love he's one of my favorite followers on Twitter. Like, positivity, all about the team, no I all the time. Love his attitude. You know what I mean? Um, and that's yeah. something that was kind of like almost like a knock when he was coming out of uh, college, and it's been the exact opposite, at least in my opinion. So. I would agree with that. Like I said, that's a guy I think has an extremely high ceiling. I know that the Browns think Taki Taki and Phillips have high ceilings. I disagree with that. I see what they see. I can understand that, and I hope that you know they're this. I hope that they're right. Um, but again, there I think that there are major question marks. And I think that Taki Taki was disappointing uh, compared. I mean, he had a, a slight bit of hype. Uh, when the Browns selected him, even though I think it was a reach, a lot of people were psyched about it. He had a good East-West Shrine game, good enough to get to the Senior Bowl. Uh, he had a lot of – he's got a troubled pass. He kind of overcame that. Good good backstory. And he didn't really do anything, just kind of played haphazardly. So, Yeah, not a lot of time, you know, to play. Uh, and, and when he did, he didn't really, you know, flash a lot. But like, like you said, uh, to me he's just a question mark. I just don't know what – what he's going to be yet, and uh, I'm not. He doesn't really, really like excite me. Jump off the page, and, and you know, same thing uh, with Goodson, um, and then. But Phillips, I like a lot. I think Phillips could be a good player. Um, it just, you know, we just know that he's downhill guy. You know, he's not going to. He's not going to be a guy that you can really trust to drop in coverage at least here for a couple of years. We'll see what happens with that. Um, like I said, I think we'll see three safeties on the field. I'm I'm really high. You mentioned Carl Joseph earlier. I like him in the box. I'm really high on Carl Joseph. I love that signing. I think yeah. that uh, he could be really, really good for the Browns. I like that signing. Um, I think they want to use Kevin Johnson, too. Um, I know he struggled a lot with the Texans, but coming off a really good year in Buffalo. So I like those two signings in the defensive backfield, and I think that they will probably lean to get those two guys on the field more than they would uh, a third linebacker. Yeah, Carl Joseph, I mean, when he's on, he's on. I mean, we're talking – I don't think yeah. I'm exaggerating when I say he's a Pro Bowl elite-level player. He's just – when he's off, he's off, and when he's hurt, he's hurt. 
Yeah. You know, that, but I think that they got him at a bargain, and I think if they can get him at 100%, I think that he can be – I think that he might be a guy that's with the Browns for nine more years. I mean, he's very, very good. When he plays well, he plays extremely well. I was high on Kevin Johnson coming out of Wake Forest. Uh, he got kind of bumped and bruised, but like you said, he got healthy last year. Buffalo primarily played him in, in the slot, and he did a very good job. So I think yeah. that the Browns took – they took guys that they, they bought they bought low. If it was the stock market, stock market, they bought low, right? And I think that's a good move. Yeah, they just peppered the free agency with one year deals on that defensive side of the ball. Yep. <laughs> it's like one year deal, one year deal, one year deal. But that's kind of uh, smart, at least in my opinion. And it's, it makes it good for a good segue here to my next topic is the reason they did that is because we're looking at all these potential extensions coming up. The Browns have signed like two people and like the last. 20 years to second contracts, but we've got all of these guys coming up that I would like to keep as our young core, right? Uh, which brings up multiple questions, and this is kind of a layered conversation, and I wanted to get into it with you, Josh, because uh, you do have such a good uh, knowledge for this stuff. So let's, let's start with Garrett, right? Uh, what do you, I mean, I envision this not taking long to get done, um, you know, I, I, what do you envision that deal looking like? Uh, five, six years, what, 150, 125 million, 70 Man. to 75 guaranteed? I mean, it's going to be a big deal. We're, we're talking, I mean, if, 150 is a lot. I mean, right, because Frank Clark right now is the, he's makes the most at 105, I, I think. Uh, um, I believe yeah, so. That's on a five year deal. No, that's right. And that's on yeah. a five, five year deal. Yeah, I would expect Garrett I, – I would hope that the Browns would lock him down as long as possible, and I would hope the Browns would pretty much just give him what he wants. Um, it wouldn't shock me if his – I mean, you know, if he got 125 with 100 guaranteed. It wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, yeah. And he's worth um, it. Yeah, 100 guaranteed. That, yeah, that's a lot of guaranteed. That, that's, that's up there, but I agree. He's uh, He is worth it, you know, um, and I think he'll be in that, you know, $25 million a year, right, ballpark. Yeah. So. We'll see. I mean, I'd rather sign him for six years than five, uh, you know, because I think that he's that legit. But we'll see what happens. Which brings me to my next question. Um, Dalvin Cook in a holdout situation right now. Um, Chubb is going to be in the same situation next year. Well, yes. Where are you at with this, uh, with, with Chubb? Because to me, I'll tell you this. Uh, Josh, I love Nick Chubb. I think he's probably, you know, the best football, maybe the best football player on the team. Um, you know, he is uh, everything you want. There's no baggage, the attitude, right? Like, and just a worker. Love, 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 love Nick Chubb. I was dead wrong on him coming out of college. I was down on him coming out as a draft pick. He has just done nothing but prove me wrong. It's embarrassing, in fact. Uh, but <laughs> um, but that's okay. I love to be wrong on that one, right? Uh, but he has been so amazing. But you look out there, Josh, and there are so many deals that just look so bad on running backs for that second deal. Um, but then you look around at the league right now and you see, you know, um, uh, Christian McCaffrey getting his second deal. Uh, you see uh, Zeke getting his second deal. Uh, where you stand with um, re-upping on Chubb? Well, I, I, like you, I love Chubb. 
Um, you know, I again, I'm I'm biased. I played running back. I love running back. I think that the running back. I think that the NFL works like a pendulum, and you're going to see that the running game is going to be more valuable mm-hmm. as time goes on. Um, I think that Stefanski is going to utilize Chubb. I think mm-hmm. that Chubb is going to have another insane year, probably better than last year. I I, I told Adam last night that I was going to hit the over on his rushing yards. Um, and I think with Hunt there, it should alleviate some of that pressure, so he should still have wear. Uh, I guess your question is, uh, what I like? What am I going to do extension-wise? Man, yeah. it, it, it'd be hard not to give it to him. It'd be, it would be really hard not, if if he has a year that I'm expecting him to have. It'd be really hard not to give it to him, and it'd be harder hard not to give it to him sooner rather than later to avoid the holdout and all that. I agree. See, I agree 100% here. But what what I think some people don't realize is, uh, I don't think you can pay everybody. So no. Um, you know, I'd like to see Ogan Joby stick around. I'd definitely like to see Denzel Ward probably. I'd like to see him have a good year this year and stay healthy before, obviously, I, you know, you don't have to pay him before that. But, you know, before, obviously, you make that um, commitment to him. But he's on my list. Obviously, of course, you've got to have Baker on your list, right? Uh, in Joku, probably not now that you, you know, signed this deal with Hooper. But we'll see what happens. Um but in the main concern, though, and, and not really concern, but one that I think that people overlooked and I want to ask you about is our, our wide receiver room. And, and, you know, we have an front office that's somewhat analytical. And and one of those things that I think that comes along with analytics is um, how, how much uh, money you're going to dedicate to one position. And $30 million at wide receiver for two wide receivers is a tough to pay, and if OBJ comes out and has the kind of year that I think he's going to have, um, a monster year, I think he's going to ask for a new deal, and I don't know if they can do that and do Cubs <laughs> and do everything else. Yeah, I, I expect him to have a monster year as well. Um, I, I expect him to hit his over on his total yards. We talked about that a couple of days ago. I'm, I'm right there with you. That's a lot of money to designate a wide receiver, and it's yeah. a lot of money to designate a wide receiver in an offense that you can expect to rely on the run. Yeah. Right, um, and one of the reasons why I think OBJ is going to have an explosive year is because there's going to be so many people in the box trying to stop Chubb, and yep. I'm expecting OBJ to be basically the the deep threat that maybe doesn't have a whole lot of receptions, but gets hand, you know he gets two two fifty yard receptions a game because he's going to be the deep guy that gets busts open every now and again. So yep. that's another thing too. If he does become more or less, I don't want to, he's never going to be a gadget wide receiver. He's too good. He's the best wide receiver in the NFL. But if your offense relies on the run and you have, let's say that Jarvis Landry has three times the receptions as OBJ and Baker has a better connection with Jarvis Landry, who's to say that that's not the more, more important relationship? Does that make sense? It's, there's a lot of variables oh. that I'm unsure about. I don't know about OBJ's giving up a hometown discount to hang out with his LSU boys. I don't, I don't know all those factors. Unlikely. Yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. But it's, it has to be taken into consideration who, who does Baker rely on more. I mean, obviously we saw the Minnesota Vikings. I th- I think very few people would say that Adam Thielen is better than Stephon Diggs. I, I mean, no. right. Yeah, I clearly, that's a great point. Yeah, and clearly they made the choice to, hey, we're going to keep Thielen and trade Diggs. You know, I, 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 why that was, I don't know. I guess my assumption could be Kirk Cousins had a better connection with Thielen, or maybe they viewed Diggs as more of a gadget player. I don't know. There's a lot of variables at that wide receiver room. And then another thing that people aren't talking about 
It was about four weeks into the season last year. Both Thielen and Diggs were pretty much expressing their frustration openly oh, yeah. about. For a minute yeah. Mm-hmm. What happens if that happens in Cleveland? It's just there's a lot of variables. With, we don't know what's going to happen because we don't know how often those guys are even going to be utilized. So right. they're worth every penny. I think both of them are worth every single penny. Um, maybe not. You know, a lot of you, a lot of arguments could be made against Landry because he's got you know eight million receptions for seven yards. But I do think that both of those guys are good. I think they're both great. So. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know. I, there's a lot of variables there. Here's the thing, and it's probably this may be unpopular with some people, but I would take I would take Landry over Beckham because for me, Josh Landry is like the heartbeat of the Browns. Like he does everything. He's everything you want in a football player. He's a leader. You know, he rushes up to call timeouts. I mean, he does everything right. Like he he is goes so hard for the Browns and is he is a company man, right? Um, at least in my opinion. And I think that's really valuable and at the wide receiver position. So unless so it's very it's perplexing, it is. And, it, and I don't think so I will say that is one of the most polarizing topics for all of Browns fans is who's better Who's more important? Who does Baker have the better connection with? It's just you. The the fan base is so split in half on who they like better, and I think that when it comes down to it, the, the front office is going to be pretty split too. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. You know, OBJ. Uh, they both played hurt last year, and he, he didn't have a great year, and there wasn't a great connection there. So it's like this for me. Either he has this huge year. And he's going to command a new deal and ask for a new deal. And the Browns are either going to pay it and keep him and keep them both, in my opinion, and try to figure this out money-wise. And somebody else is going to lose out on a deal, or uh, he's not. He's going to have another down year uh, by his standards. Maybe he gets a thousand again, but that's not a real legit OBJ year where you get in the end zone what like twice or three times or whatever. Right. That's not that's not legit for him. And and at that point, then I think you cut ties with him, you know, via trade or whatever because the production that wasn't there for two years, you can't continue to pay that kind of money for that production, in my opinion. Uh, so I, I think that this year will tell the tale uh, on OBJ's future with the Browns. It's there's a there's a lot of variables there, and he's uh, I, I don't think he I don't think he's a bad player or a bad locker room influence, but he is a head case who gets frustrated easily. And this yes. is a new staff once again, and a new offense once again, and it's just it's going to be very intriguing to see if this does get volatile. I hope it doesn't. I hope that the Browns win 10 games and, and get a wild card berth and, and all that good stuff. But let's be real. There's a, there is a, a very real chance that this Browns team wins six games again, or maybe even worse. There's a very real chance. Um, I hope, I hope not. I, I think they'll be better. I think that I expect them to make the playoffs. Honestly. I, I mean, I look at this roster, I, I just can't imagine this roster not getting in the playoffs. I, I would agree with you. The, I think the the Vegas win total is at eight and a half. I'm taking the over all day long. Yeah, I'm taking. Uh, you know, I, they should get ten wins. They should. They really should. Yeah, it's like I, 
I can't help but lay a lot of last year at the feet of Freddie Kitchens as much as I liked him as a person. Um, he was, you know, just in over his head. Um, oh, yeah. A couple more questions real quick for you, and then I want you to plug the podcast, okay? Um, but uh, you're listening to Josh Keeley here on All Eyes on Cleveland. We're kind of getting into the nitty-gritty stuff here of the Browns. Uh, play calling. Do you care who calls plays? If the answer Van Pelt, Van Pelt said they still haven't even talked about it, really. Um, is that surprising to you at all or anything? Uh, I say, no, nah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that it's not going to matter, to be quite honest with you. The fact that they're not talking about it hopefully means that they're in so they're so unison and they have this, the same goal and game plan in mind that they don't really need to talk about it, that it just kind of happens organically and they can figure it out later. Um, I don't think that Monken and Kitchens were ever on the same page. So I think that no. they had to have they had to have they probably had a ton of awkward conversations throughout that entire season. I, and I'm hoping that it's not like that with Stefanski and Van Pelt. Um, I would hope that Stefanski. If you're asking me based off of track record, I would say Stefanski. Uh, I think the last time Van Pelt called plays was actually in NFL Europe. Uh, I think it was with, like with the with the Rhine Fire or Berlin Thunder, and Achilles Smith was his quarterback. <laughs> believe it oh, or not. Uh, yeah. So I mean, there's not a whole lot of experience there, obviously. Um, so I would think that Stefanski would be the play caller, but maybe not. I don't know. I guess That's what whole... I thought, too. I, yeah. I thought that from the beginning. Because you're, we're looking at, you know, the Gary Kubiak version of this offense, and, and that's what Stefanski knows. Yes. You know, Van Pelt's been in similar, you know, off this this offense before, and he's familiar with it, but not this version of it, right? So I would rather have the guy that, that – that knows it in and out, putting it in, calling the plays. Stefanski just comes across as such an intelligent guy. Uh, that's just kind of what I hope for. So it doesn't help, no question. But um, I just thought it was interesting that he quoted and said they haven't even talked about it yet. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, but I, I'm hoping that's a good thing. I really yeah, am. Clearly they're not concerned about it, so. And, and definitely double-check the uh, the Van Pelt. I, I know he was an off-to-quinter for NFL Europe team. I can't remember who it was. I know Keely Smith was the quarterback, and I believe they won like four games. So feel free to double-check me on that. Yeah, no, I don't know. I believe you. I'm sure he did. I know <laughs> that they, they said that they both have called plays for about a year each in the NFL. So did Van Pelt call plays for somebody in the NFL? He called plays for Buffalo, right? Or I, I'm, I'm not aware of him calling plays. I'm not aware of him ever having play-calling duties other than NFL Europe. But maybe I'm wrong. Interesting. Um, I'll have Mikey get on that for us. Okay, so Mikey's going to get dig into that for us, see what he can find out. Um, look, uh, pardon me, losing my ability to speak English there. Rookie uh, contributors. Uh, so if I go kind of quick fire at you here, I'm going to give you a name. You tell me start, rotation, or uh, backup, okay? Oh, geez. Okay. All right, you ready? Jedrick Wills. Start. Delpit. Start. Jordan Elliott. He's high, he's going to contribute. R- rotational piece, right? Rotational, yeah. Uh, Jacob Phillips. Rotational. Harrison Bryant. Mm, rotational. Interesting. Nick Harris. Uh, he's going to sit on the bench, but I could see him being rotational. Okay. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Rotational. Okay. 
Interesting. That's good, right? Yeah. Oh, the draft, you look at that. I think that's good. Yeah, I, I thought say, it was a great draft class. Yeah, I think I think Harris will be a backup, right? Uh, I don't. I mean, Bryant seems really like have a, a high ceiling as a pass catcher, but I just don't know. I guess he'll probably get in there, and you know, maybe I, I maybe I'm I'm too high on him. I think that maybe the correct answer would be he could develop. In, if maybe the correct answer is if he plays well enough throughout as a as a low level rotational piece, kind of like we saw with Farrell uh, Brown. Yeah. Maybe when that gives the Browns allow us to get rid of Njoku around the trade deadline and Harrison Bryant then become a rotational piece. I think he can grow into a consistent rotational piece. Yeah, he's certainly an offensive weapon, you know. So yeah, yeah that's uh that that's awesome. But man, you've been awesome today, Josh. Uh, I've had an absolute blast talking uh Browns with you. I mean I could just keep going for hours, but oh, yeah. uh, I won't do that to you. Um the the Browns <laughs> Wire podcast, uh, you and Adam Moore um on uh and and you guys are the show just like ours is published at USA Today Sports Media Groups the Brownswire dot com where you write and I write uh for Jeff Risden. Uh go ahead and talk about the show. Plug the show where we can find it other than uh the Brownswire dot com and uh tell us a little bit about it. Oh yeah, the Brownswire podcast. You can find it anywhere. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, it's there. Uh, Jeff was gracious enough to hand those reins over to me when Rack, Mac Robinson left. Um, I was flying solo there for a bit, and then I had a couple co-guests co- uh, before Adam Moore joined me. Adam Moore is definitely, I would call him the gambling expert or the more the analytical guy. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, he's got grabs for days. So we, we talk a little bit about gambling. We talk about uh, you know the draft constantly. Um, we're always talking about the XFL, AAF. Um, you know, Canadian Football League, whatever's going on with those alternate football leagues. We we try to keep it relevant about football and the football games that are going on today. So I feel like we do a good job. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That that that's cool. That uh, you know, that's certainly a, a different, you know, a little bit of a niche uh there that uh people can, you know, get to, uh that information on. So certainly really good stuff and uh Wish you nothing but the best, brother. So uh, I appreciate your uh, lending your football acumen, as I said earlier. Really good stuff on the UDFAs and and great great conversation on, you know, the future of the Browns with extensions. That young board should be certainly interesting this year. Totally loaded uh, roster, uh, but, you know, without the hype, right? You know, they're kind of flying under the radar, which is how I like it. Um, And uh, I I think that things are – uh, pointed in the right direction as long as um, the football season can happen as, you know, on schedule and everything. So um, any parting words for us today, Josh? Uh, no. I mean, I guess I, I'm going to pitch the Brownswire podcast one more time. Uh, this week's episode, we talked about the uh, season prop bets for Baker Mayfield, Odo Beckham, and uh, Nick Chubb. So we kind of dive into a lot of what we talked about tonight. There you go. That's uh that's a good one. That's a good topic and uh go listen, go check it out at uh the Brownswire dot com or where all popular podcasts are uh where all popular uh podcasts are found. Any any your favorite platform you can find it there, right? That's right. Absolutely. Uh you're uh, a gentleman and a scholar, uh Josh. Thank you so much for your time. Maybe we'll have you back here uh on the other side of uh training camp. Hook up again, okay? 
Heck yeah. Thanks for inviting me, man. There it was, a uh, wonderful interview with the one and only Josh Keatley. Catch all of his work at thebrownswire.com. You are listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. I'm your host, Brad Ward. I hope you enjoyed that uh, dive into the UDFAs and everything else, Browns, uh, that's happening right now. Uh, We're going to crown your winners, get your t-shirts out to you here, and hit on a couple quick topics and get you out of here. Uh, all eyes on Cleveland style. Go ahead and kill that, Mikey. Mikey, any word on uh, Van Pelt's play calling duties? Mm-hmm. Okay, so not so much, uh, I guess I was wrong there. Maybe he didn't call plays in the NFL. Mikey can't seem to find uh, that information at the moment. Uh, You can find this podcast, though, uh, at iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, app, radio.com, and Google Play will be published tomorrow uh, morning. On a sucker free Friday at USA Today Sports Media Groups, thebrownswire.com. You can also go to www.alleyesoncleveland.com. The winners of the t shirt contest will be posted there. Uh, we've got the wheel all ready for that. But first, so, uh, Fauci, Dr. Fauci, uh, Fauci, uh, comes out and says today he wants to talk about, wants to ruin my day and say that, um, football won't happen unless they can find a way to do it in a bubble setup like the, uh, other leagues are doing. Um, in the United States, so hockey, um, and basketball, NBA, with their bubble setups. So, that is, uh, um, an MLS, MLS 2 in Orlando, I think, is doing the bubble setup. So, that is, uh, you know... Interesting that he comes out to say that, and I was kind of like, 
really, how do we know? I mean, I'm certainly, once again, not a scientist. Totally talking about this, I feel uncomfortable talking about it, but here's how I feel about it. It's a fluid situation. It's a moving target, right? So here's what we know about the NFL. Uh, that Well, first of all, Dr. Alan Sills, who is the medical guy for the NFL, came right out today and said, Yo, Fouch, not so fast, my man. Uh, says the season uh, plan is unchanged and that they will uh, basically do whatever they have to do uh, to follow the guidelines and get everything working. So there you have that. So the NFL was like, eh, not, not going to deter us. So I like that. And I, I posted on Twitter that I, I don't think the NFL will be deterred. I think they'll do what they have to do. Um, even if it is a bubble, I don't think that that'll be necessary. But, I mean, look look around, though. I mean, like, look. In Europe, I mean, all these leagues are going off without issue, right? I mean, I think uh, the Premier League or English Soccer League or whatever, I don't, not into, I don't know all the soccer leagues over there, but I know they're playing a lot of soccer, playing Aussie Rules football, they're playing uh, Korean baseball. I mean, in, without issue. No fans, but, but otherwise without issue. And and so why why is this... A need to be a bubble? I, I don't think it does. The the protocol right now for the, the NFL is that you know everybody is going to have to be tested every three days, so it's kind of the thing, right? So you just treat it like an injury. So I mean, if guy tests positive, he's going on. You know, he's out of the building. You quarantine him for 14 days. He has to test positive before he can come back in, and he may miss a game or two. It's just, it's you're going to have to treat it like an injury. You're going to have to, I mean, it's going to play some sort of havoc, but at some point we need to start living with this thing, right? Um, I mean, the deaths have gone way down, and, and the, you know, there's spikes all over the place that are going to scare people back and everything. But, and once again, not a scientist, so I really don't I feel uncomfortable talking about this. So if I sound like an idiot, I understand. But I'm just saying, uh, I don't, I think the NFL can do it. They can follow the protocols. They can test as many people as they need to test. You can't come in the building and, you know, with a positive test. Uh, you can't travel on the team with a positive test. Nobody's going to be out on the field with a positive test. I mean, I mean, you should be able to do it, right? I don't know. That's where I'm at. Um, interesting stuff on Twitter this week. So I asked a question. Miles Garrett uh, showing himself being a freak again, uh, lifting 655 pounds, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And the first to think, barefoot, barefoot, freaking barefoot. Oh, man. I know, right? So I'm like, what? I mean, you can't be walking around a weight room barefoot. And I had a lot of people call me out on Twitter and say, well, what's what's a tennis shoe going to do? 
save you a broken foot versus barefoot? Okay, point taken. But still, just the walking around a locker room or a weight room barefoot seems not ideal. But I must say, and I give them credit, and they and, and go check them out on Twitter. It's Beach to Beach Fitness at B Two B Fitness L B I is the is their handle. Uh, responded to my question about this. The theory, and here's what here's what he said, and he's been uh, awesome. He reached out to me, so good stuff here. And check out Beach to Beach Fitness um, as they do. Uh, there are workouts on the beach and all kinds of, uh, you can do, you know, kids stuff. They got one-on-one stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. But anyways, here's what he had to say, and it, and it does make sense. The theory behind wearing no shoes is that while doing an exercise, you are strengthening, stabilizing muscles, ligaments, and tendons that normally don't get worked on due to the support that your body is used to in shoes, braces, etc. That makes sense, right? So no shoe, lifting heavy weights, is going to force different ligaments and muscles in your ankle, in your foot, to work that a shoe support would alleviate that work. Makes sense. Uh, so thank you so much, Beach to Beach Fitness, uh, at B2B Fitness LBI, awesome stuff. And then we saw Nick Chubb, power clean, 415 pounds, um, Rusty Mansell from 247, uh, sports and, uh, covering the Georgia Bulldogs and CBS Sports Network, uh, commented that, um, he's been following, uh, him since the 10th grade, and that uh, he's another level of in shape uh, and never see him this ready to play football, which is terrific uh, news for the Browns, right? So awesome stuff there, and I have reached out to Rusty, and I am efforting uh, him to come on the show next week. So stay tuned for that. I want to ask him about Chubb, obviously, being in his freakish condition. And then, obviously, uh, as we learned today, uh, Brian Harrion, running back from Georgia, uh, one of the guys that uh, Josh uh, said he thought could make the team uh, at running back three. And we've talked about him as well on the show. So so that's cool. Jamel Adams, around the NFL real quick here, is uh, just being a royal pain in the ass to Jets fans. Uh, and he wants traded, has now officially requested a trade for ESPN, uh, and it listed seven teams that he would go to. Those teams are the Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, and Seahawks. Oh, man! So there you have that, uh, as Jamal Adams uh, pulling his uh, prima donna routine there. Uh, Glenn Cook... VP of player personnel was on a Zoom call. A uh, couple notes from that. Um, team will be ready to adopt any COVID-19 protocols. They're ready to go. Uh, tr- you know, put lines on the field yesterday. How about that, huh? Lines on the freaking field. Let's fucking go, is what I'm saying. Get them out there. Let's play ball. 
uh, can't wait. Uh, you know, Bart Scott, can't wait. Hope to um, have Miles Garrett for a long time as they uh, asked him about his extension work. We talked about that with Josh. And then um, he they mentioned not having any issues as far as if the preseason were to go to two games. Uh, no issues cutting the roster down uh, for them. Don't foresee it. Uh, as he said that um, Kevin Stefanski very strategic and specific in his uh, work. So uh, he will be able to handle that no problem two games. Paying attention to Chris Sims, top 40. It's interesting. You know, he's he caught a lot of grief because he brought in Drew Brees at 16, Brady at 15. People think those are too high. But if you listen to him, it makes a lot of sense. Drew Brees not throwing the ball down the field anymore. Everything is really through that Sean Payton offense. It's interesting. Talked a lot about Brady uh, bailing on some throws that they needed to win games. Uh, his ability to stay in the pocket last year, dwindling a little bit. Uh, very interesting. Had Kyler, Kyler Murray all the way up at 13 on his list. Top 10 coming out today. Uh, had Tannehill at, I want to say, 12 or 11. So interesting, uh, the names that he has here towards the top of the top 40. You know, listening to his explanation after watching tape and stuff, it makes a lot of sense, but I'm sure catching a ton of flack about Breeze. It was Rivers at, I think, 16, Breeze at 15, uh, or Breeze at 16, Rivers at 17, Brady at 15 or 14. So they, I mean, they're all right there, bunched together right around 15. That's, I mean, that's higher than anybody else is going to put him at. And um, I tend to think he's right, at least on the Breeze thing, because he can't push the ball down the field like he used to. And um, it's really a creation of all of the underneath stuff that they do. Um I would agree. I don't have a problem with that. Brady, I think I would have a little higher, uh, lower, I mean, towards more towards, like, the top 10, maybe even in the top 10. I don't... He has him at, what, 15 or 14 there? That I think that's a little high. Uh, but Breeze, I don't have a problem with there, as he is a product of, certainly, his system. I expect a big year out of Brady this year, so... Um, we'll, we'll see how that all comes out as he certainly always takes flack for his top 40, but he does a good job. Uh, you know, I love listening to his explanations uh, as he certainly does the work. It is that time, everybody, uh, to do the T-shirt giveaway, the black All Eyes on Cleveland T-shirt. Greedy! Greedy? Huh. All right. <laughs> the black All Eyes on Cleveland t-shirt. We've got uh, wheelofnames.com up, right, Mikey? So let's uh, hit it for the first one here. And here we go. Wheel is spinning. All names are entered. Our first winner of the t-shirt is Teeds, T-E-D-A-Z, at Teeds underscore... 
We'll be reaching out to you, sir. Thank you for listening to the show. I think, I believe he is in California. We'll be reaching out uh, so he can sport that shirt out in the Calio. Uh, all eyes on Cleveland. We'll reach out, get your size and address. Uh, up next, uh, we've got to get another winner here. Let's hit it again, Mikey. How do I get reset this? Okay. Thank you, sir. Uh, not, uh, all right. Did it? While this while it's spinning, we'll get a little greedy. Greedy? Huh? All okay. right. <laughs> uh, love that clip for some reason. Our second winner of the All Eyes on Cleveland, the black T-shirt with the white lettering. It's pretty baller. The winner is Hellhound. At Dog Pound East, a loyal listener, a long time listener, all the way back to the Brown Scout podcast, Hellhound, uh, congrats, we'll reach out on Twitter, uh, slide in them DMs, get your address and size, they do run a little small, but they are pimp, now anybody else that wants one, we're going to do another giveaway here in a couple weeks, uh, for sure, on these t-shirts, uh, but you can go, uh, just go to um, my Twitter handle, and uh, there is, uh, I will post the link. You can get a t-shirt for like $14, uh, and they send them out. They're cool. There's other options on there. Uh, you can get a mask, a coffee mug, uh, all kinds of apparel for all eyes on Cleveland. So make sure that uh, you go check all that out. Um, it has been a good show here today. I really enjoyed Josh Keatley's knowledge on the undrafted free agents. You know, the names that really stick out there are the Brian Harrion at running back, of course, A.J. Green, and then Alex Taylor, incredibly huge man, six foot eight and three eighths inches. Uh, at ta- at uh, tackle from South Carolina State. These are guys that will be in camp for your Cleveland Browns. Um, stay positive with this stuff, everybody. I mean, this, this uh, for me, you know, Browns flying under the radar. You're always hearing the stuff, though, about the roster. Um, keep under the radar. Like to see maybe OBJ hook up with Baker. Before training camp starts, I think, I feel like that would be really good. Uh, Landry's recovery time, I'm not sure where he's at, but if he could get there too, that'd be good. But even just like, if you could get like Hig, Hooper, and Joku, and maybe OBJ, just get him in there for some work with Bake uh, out in the Calio or wherever they need to go uh, before. Mid-late July when they hopefully get into Berea Got the lines on the field You start getting excited I'm excited Let's gonna get football here soon, baby We're gonna get it back Have faith No bad news Don't listen to Fouch on that one I think he's off base on that one You're gonna get by Listen to Dr. Sills of the NFL Yo, Fouch Gonna be playing ball This, this fall Uh... Something that uh, we got to live with here now. And uh, at some point, we need to get back to some semblance of regular life. 
So I'm going to take it as a fluid situation and hope for the best. And I expect to see Cleveland Browns football in the fall. Some good Cleveland Browns football. Some good ball. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. You can catch the podcast where everybody uh, listens to podcasts. Uh, Whatever your favorite platform is, the show is there. You'll be out on a sucker-free Friday at USA Today Sports Media Groups, thebrownswire.com. Thanks to Josh Keeley for Mikey. I am Brad Ward. We are out. Chopper got the Uzi lens. Birds I view, the birds I knew. Flip birds, bird things, it was birds I flew. And word I blew, or herb I grew. I would serve on stoops, now swerving coops. It's me. Sing. Alright, so you're here. Purple Haze the album. You ready? Greedy! Greedy? Huh. Alright. <laughs>